Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Can't Stop Snapping, the official podcast of MarvelSnapZone.com. And it is patch week. Uh, well, I should say every week is patch week now, technically, right? But uh, but we uh, have our monthly patch, our larger patch. So we've got a lot to unpack here, a lot of news that's happened in the last week. And I am joined today by two guests, both of them returning. Excited to have them back. I am joined by Teddy Ninja. Hey, Teddy, good to see everybody. Glad to have you back. And I am joined once again by the great Brad Suffer. Brad, glad hey, to have you, you back. great in front of my name? Dan, that feels like an honor I am not worthy of receiving, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. The, the legendary. No, uh, oh, oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we need I a guess gold we, border around his webcam now. I should, I should have asked you guys what, what your little subtitle is currently in Marvel Snap. I would have addressed you by that, you know, uh, if uh, I knew. Full-time job. Full-time job. Yeah. Mine but, right now is... Um, uh, the return of, or no, he's guess who's back. Guess who's back. Cause I, I changed my thing. My avatar is leader and I put guess who's back as that. Cause that's oh, spoilers for later in the episode, Brad, you're giving oh. it away. No, <laughs> no, but that's, that's, uh, that's pretty good. I I'm boring. It it's, I've talked about it on the podcast before. I mean, I like the idea of, uh, yeah, you get these little subtitles, but like I only ever use one or two and I have like 30 plus. So, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, wish I was getting some more variants or something, but you know, that's life. So, uh, awesome. Yeah. Like I said, we have a bunch to unpack here. We've got a new card, patch notes, uh, update on Kitty Pride. So we will, we'll dive in here. And first things first, we are going to dive into talking about Jeff, Jeff, the baby land shark, which, uh, I mean, we've known this one's coming for a little while and, uh, just when I first saw it, it just, you know, it's one of those things that feels so out of character out of, you know, compared to a lot of cards, you're like, is this really in the comics? Did they just make this up? <laughs> uh, but no, it really is. Uh, it's got, there's a whole backstory to Jeff, the baby land shark. We're not going to go into the lore here, but I do want to talk about the card. So Jeff is a two cost three power card that reads, you can move this once. Nothing can you, nothing can stop you from moving or playing this card to any location so i'm just going to clarify a couple things there so you can play this card to any location no location will block you from playing it there but then you can also move it once per game like nightcrawler but you can move it to any location even if normal you couldn't move to that location because of a location or of a card at the location so a lot to unpack here and i have my thoughts but i always want to turn it to you guys first i don't want to i don't want to go too too much uh without letting you guys have a chance to talk so uh, Brad, we'll go to you first. I just want general impressions, thoughts on Jeff compared to the cards we've been getting recently. How are you feeling about Jeff? Dude, I, I love Jeff. I think it's such a cool card. Uh, I remember when we first saw the data mine of Jeff and I was like, normally I don't think any card is worthy of the 6,000 token spending besides big bads. Um, and, but Jeff's on the cusp of that just because it is the ultimate tech card. You can play mm. it anywhere. Uh, it re can effectively replace Nightcrawler because I know a lot of pool two and early pool three players love their Nightcrawler. It's such a nice uh, card to be able to be flexible to go anywhere you want it to. He's not necessarily a build around card, but he's one that you can utilize in pretty much any deck. My personal favorite is Cerebro three while also utilizing Professor X. And that is such a fun combo. And if you don't have them for those plays to play them on like Sanctum or Professor X, it's not a big deal. Just play them as a two, three and you can move them once. That alone is enough in my mind to add to the flexibility of a deck and justify as a card slot in plenty of shells. 
Awesome. Uh, big, I don't disagree with a lot of things you said. Big declaration there, you know, worth the 6,000 tokens. There's always that debate of like, is it worth it? Is any car truly worth it? So, Teddy, I want to hear your thoughts on, on Jeff. Oh, baby. I love the little Jeffy. So I've played, I didn't go all night like I did for a hit monkey, but I did play a testing stream for about three hours as soon as he released. I streamed today for three hours. I probably played him for like literally seven hours straight of games, including Jeff, all the different archetypes that I could jam together. And I really enjoy him. Is he significantly elevating the decks that I put him in? No, but he does function very well inside them. He's adorable. I think that he is probably the best of the Series 5 cards that we are getting this month. I think that Hitmonkey was the best card this month, but then between the other ones, I mean, he's better than Snowguard. And Stegron, we're going to have to see, but I'm putting Jeff over Stegron right now without being able to test this Stegron. Cerebro 3s was a great call-out. Being able to have the tool that gets into locations that are otherwise locked down is something that Cerebro 3s was missing. And Professor X is getting more and more popular. He was seeing a meteoric rise in popularity even before the, the patch and kind of the meta shakeup. And then Jeff just fuels that being able, you can throw Professor X out blind with relative confidence if you know that you're going to be able to reinforce with Jeff or have an additional way to be able to buff up that lane. And then, yeah, when you're looking at like the downside is he's a 2-3 compared to, oh, Lizard. The downside of Lizard is he's a 2-2. The, the downside of Scorpion is you drew him at the final turn and he's a 2-2 because you didn't actually affect any debuffs on the cards the opponent was going to play. So when you're comparing to the other plug-and-play staple two-drops, Jeff is holding his own, quite frankly, and so pretty happy to see him. Yeah, no, a lot of great thoughts from both of you. I mean, um, I have seen some people kind of memeing around the internet as they do with the release of Jeff, um, both kind of for and against. I think one thing that I've experienced is that uh, I mean, this happens with any new card. Like, I think people are still kind of figuring out, like, what's the best mental oh, strategy yeah, yeah. to play out, Jeff? And so they'll, like, snap pretty early because they have Jeff in hand or, like, the turn they lay him down, they snap. And then it's like, they're not actually in a winning position, but they think, oh, there's this one location or this one thing going on, so I'm probably going to win. Um, I mean, and sometimes they have good reason. One game I had where uh, we had um, Luke's Bar, right? So he's thinking, oh, I've got Luke's bar. Like I'm going to be able to get Jeff in there. And I think there was Sanctum Centaurum. So there was like two bad yeah. locations for playing at, but I had hood in my hand. And so I was able to do some hood shenanigans of like forcing uh, a demon to stay down, you know, there at the end of the game anyway. So I was able to get some cubes from that game. So I think to me, Jeff is one of those cards that is good and it's only going to get better as people get more comfortable playing with Jeff. Because there's the play Jeff early in, in some decks. I mean, sometimes maybe, you know, you can win games by playing Jeff on the last turn, right? Because people aren't expecting you to place it down in that location. They, they're they so sure they're going to win that location because they know you can't play there, right? Yeah. And, and I think with things like Sarah, anything where you're like uh, reducing the cost of cards in your hand, being able to get Jeff down to a one cost on the last turn, that allows yeah. you to play some other cards and then, you know, slam Jeff down there for the surprise and maybe pull one location that you're opponent thought they had locked down so that's another very effective deck that i found is running sarah but with storm so it's the sarah miracle but then you bring in a little bit of location lockdown you have so much synergy there with the cards that like to play well with storm with the juggernaut being a severely underrated card at the moment you have zabu to be able to decrease the cost of like jess jones that you play to follow up the storm as well jeff is a reinforcement at the very end it comes together very beautifully we should very quickly dispel some of the myths that i saw going around about jeff he cannot be played to the opponent's side of the board I forget exactly where that one started, but I saw a lot of people who thought that was the case. That is not the case. He can be the second card 
at the space throne, but otherwise he is restricted by the user interface. That is the ultimate god in Snap. Uh, he cannot be played to the two locations that are destroyed by Galactus. Those are not locations anymore. He can't get played to the empty space. He cannot be the fifth card, um, etc. Yeah. And now, there is currently a bug where he cannot be recalled after being played to Professor X. So he can be played to Professor X, but you'd better be sure you're playing him there because he will not come back. Meaning you can't like move him to another location. Yes. From Professor X. Yeah. No, so you could move him once he's played, but you cannot reorder your turn once you have dropped him down. Oh, like it's literally a, like you drop him there, you haven't locked in your turn, and he's locked yeah. in place. You you can't. you can't drag him back into hand, he'll always jump back, and you can't undo all. He's just stuck. Oh man. And then bizarrely, you get a visual bug saying that you get regain energy by trying to recall him. Your energy is gonna skyrocket, but that's just a visual bug. Like if you have sunspot, it won't actually gain yeah, it, the energy. It's just there's a whole mess, but I'm sure that it's I, it's fairly minor and very niche. So I, I wish it I wish it did give you the energy, you know, like an unlimited energy bug. That, that sounds like a lot sun, of fun. Hundred power sunspot, depending on how quickly you could swipe Jeff back. You lock please your opponent no, into the game, no. they can't leave, you know. It becomes a auto clicker. Like that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, no, I think I think Jeff is in a better spot. I mean, obviously, last week we were talking about Snowguard. And compared oh, to no. Snowguard, right, this is way above and beyond, I think, value that you're getting. Um, but I guess, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think here. Like, people that are, like, you know, they're, they're getting tokens. They're, you know, they're saving up for a Series 6 card. Like, we 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 have this debate about the the three big bads that are currently kind of locked into that six thousand token cost permanently. We don't know if that'll change down the road, um, but I guess like, would you guys recommend like, hey, make sure you get those three? We're talking Kang, Thanos, and Galactus before you'd spend tokens on Jeff, or is it more of a just do what you think is the most fun? Like, I guess what what's your opinion there, right? Like, I think some people feel like, well, I have to get those ones first before I can buy anything else in Series Five. So and that's. That's tough. Um, I think Thanos has taken a little bit of a dip, especially with the now the uh, the new uh, Lockjaw change we'll get to in a little bit. Um, I still think Thanos and Galactus are very equal in terms of their both playability and their decks and how strong they are. Um, Thanos has the flexibility on one side, and then Galactus is a bit more predictable. Yeah. So it, those I would prioritize if you feel like you enjoy those types of games and those types of decks that they create. Whereas Kang is a catch-all, really interesting tech card that you can play in pretty much any deck that you want. But it's also oddly both overhyped and underhyped at the same time, if that makes sense. Yes. A lot of people think he's just not worth it, uh, but other people just don't see the potential of the card itself. I would say yes with a caveat of you should get the big bads first, but only if you really enjoy those two style of decks between Thanos and Galactus. Honestly, the best thing is just to, as far as tokens go, it's wait till their series four. 3000 is a lot more affordable. Even with Jeff, I say he's on the cusp of being worth it. Technically speaking, no card in the game besides the big bads are actually worth the 6,000 tokens as it currently stands. Um, and I see you frowning at me, Teddy. I see. Have you it. seen Master Mold? Uh, I have you I seen Master Mr. Molded Mold. it, Mr. I Molded love, and Folded. I love Master Mold. Yes. Not worth it. Should have been no a Series way. Three card. 
yeah, almost every single card that's released in Series Five now feels like it should be a Series Three card, especially like uh, some Snow of the Guard. recent ones in Series yeah. Guard, and that should be a Series One card. Let's what? give some new players some love. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I saw a uh, conversation in the Discord. You know, there's some channels in the Discord where users can ask uh, the developers questions, and one of the questions was, "Do you ever see a future where like cards don't have to go to Series Five first? Like maybe you." you launch a card into series four, series three. And obviously they're never going to give a committal answer to like something they may do, but they basically said like, it's not off the table. It's not out of the question. That's so stupid. Of course it's not off the table. You've already done it. Yeah, (laughs) It was the first batch of cards we got both series five and series four. I'm sorry. That was my biggest pet peeve with this game right now of them giving non answers about stuff like that. Yes, it absolutely is on the table and it should be on the table. And it's a shame that it's not. And I'm hoping that the free kitty pride compensation that we'll talk about or touch on or whatever is the kind of that door that first stepping stone to second dinner kind of pondering and going maybe we want to look at our card acquisition because now that you open the doors to every single player regardless of collection level getting this card for free seeing this huge uptick in play rate of a card that we've never seen before seeing probably a lot of players spending more money on the game to go get the cards that they need to finish series three to go you know with the decks of kitty pride or other series four and five cards where they feel like they save money so now they're more inclined to spend more this should tell them give us more cards at a lesser rate than just series five you make more money you will i guarantee it absolutely guarantee it yeah i i don't disagree with that i i think I think they're they are looking at it, but yeah, it's unfortunate that we don't we don't know like is this something they're targeting in the short term, the long term? Like, hope to see things soon. But you alluded to something, and I think this is probably a good turning point. I think we all like Jeff. I think Jeff is uh, an exciting card, and um, yeah, I think probably the best one we've had kind of in Series Five this month. So, so the, I think I would say my parting recommendations on like the purchase of Jeff. If you want to buy one card a month. This is your card to buy. I think it's going to be better than Stegron coming out later. If you're excited about High Evolutionary, which is probably the most hyped card that we may have ever seen, I think that every card releasing next month is more competitive than Jeff. Now, whatever brings you joy, Jeff is going to put a smile on your face whenever you're playing him. So there's definitely value right there, right? But if you are just like the meta, I want to follow the meta, the most competitive use of all my tokens. I think every card next month is better than Jeff in terms of competitive nature. So my like series five recommendations, I think is Thanos, High Evolutionary, Galactus. I haven't purchased Galactus myself, so maybe being a little bit of a hypocrite, then Master Mold. And then we're going to slot in like Iron Lad, Howard the Duck after I get my hands on them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for those recommendations. We'll We'll jump over here to talk Kitty Pride, which course i need to click the right thing if i want it to go there we go uh, so so there's kind of this is kind of a two-part there's a change to kitty pride which is kind of a change but not really in some ways and there and then there's compensation for the issues around kitty pride so kitty pride previously was a one zero that read you can return this to your hand to gain plus two power and there was obviously some confusion when kitty came out because it's like what does that mean what is the context like when during your turn or can you do this every turn right and and people kind of were figuring this out but with that came bugs and issues and things that weren't expected and things that weren't were expected um so they're changing kitty uh to be a one zero so still same stat line when this returns to your hand plus two power returns at the start of each turn 
So basically you're locked into it, returning to your hand every turn and it returns at the start of each turn. Uh, so I think like, there, I'm sure there's so much we can talk about, like how this changes some of the interactions and maybe we won't go super in depth here, but one thing is obviously on turn six, if Kitty's on the board, it's guaranteed to go back to your hand. So you will have to replay Kitty unless you've lowered her cost somehow for another one energy, which limits you from playing like a six cost card on a turn six, right? So I think that's interesting. Uh, you can't like leave her down on turn five, for example, and then say, okay, I'm going to play other things on turn six. So yeah. you finagled the hand size thing with like yep. Sentinel and things like that. Um, yep. I do have two really quick points to make about Kitty Prime this change. Um, the first one uh, is going to be she sucks now when it comes to lockdown locations. Looking at Sanctum Santorum, let's say you play on turn one on the second location and it's revealed to be Sanctum. You can't just make that choice of like, okay, I'm going to leave her there for now and then make my opponent have some kind of extension or reach there or flooded locations, things like that. You no longer have that option and she's going to bounce back to hand. That sucks. Second thing, which I think is more niche, but also more important. Sinister London and Cloning Vats no longer are amazing, insane knockout plays with Kitty. Before, you could maneuver around your hand size with Sinister London, and you get two, two Kitties. And even if you get down to turn six, and you have six Kitties on board, right? And you have six cards in hand. You can maneuver around your hand size by going one at a time, kitty on kitty on kitty over and over again and then you can actually even climb up to eight ten power and have like almost ten kitties on board of insane power because sinister london now you have no way of doing that same thing with cloning vats at a lesser point but you don't have that way to maneuver because they're all trying to bounce back to hand so i think those two things are the big takeaways of this change to kitty otherwise they did fix the bounce mechanic of her yep. coming back to hand regardless. She'll still get the plus two from Beast, Falcon, etc. And then she'll also uh, buff uh, the Collector. Yep. So, Yeah, that's it, the huge thing. Beast and Falcon know. buff her now? I mean, heck yes. I thought that I was going to have to sacrifice a turn of buffing Kitty to be able to have the Beast power energy discount. But then the energy yeah. discount was bugged anyway. So you just never bounced her with Beast. But now, not only are you getting the power, but you're also getting the energy discount, which opens mm -hmm. up turn six to be whatever you want because she'll be free in hand. I mean, this is, I'm really happy with this change. It makes the user interface a little bit um, more simple. I hope that we still get the sound effect, the, the little bring, bring that she had been like, like the notification that you could swipe her back. I hope that comes back in, in some way as she jumps back to hand. But I'm really excited for what bounce is going to look like, especially finally getting to play her as the dream pairing alongside Hit Monkey and uh, yep. all these bargain cards yeah. with. Sandman ramp the way that it is right now. I'm going to probably be donating some cubes, but I got to run it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, uh, we're definitely seeing some Sandman, uh, in the, in the yeah. post patch meta. I mean, we were before, but it, it definitely, I feel like is uptick, at least for my, you know, limited experience in the 24 hours. Since for the reason. Oh yeah. 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 There's, there's, yeah. Probably a conspicuous reason why that has happened. But yeah, the, uh, the, the fact that she's releasing in the face of, a meta with probably her strongest counter being so dominant is going to, I don't know, we'll see. We still have a month to go. Maybe we'll even see some over-the-air changes to that the Sandman ramp kind of deck that's going to twist it around as well. It's very hard to predict much into the future now, given that we get the weekly changes, but I'm very excited to be getting my hands on Kitty. Yeah. I don't think they should make any changes to uh, Sandman. I think that's a... Uh a silly idea to um, always want to take away counters to 
decks want to throw up their hands on turn six. I think that's a very slippery slope to go down if they keep doing that. And uh, everyone always wants a scapegoat, right? It was Leech. Now it's Sandman. Just deal with it. Give them yeah, there's always going to be somebody, right? And get out. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that deep, dude. Yeah. I saw I saw a comment from one of the developers today basically saying, you know, somebody commented, of course, it's been 24 hours since the patch. They're like, are you worried about Sandman? Is Sandman being played too much? <laughs> and they responded nicely basically saying, it's too early to tell, right? Uh, we don't make decisions 24 hours after we make a patch. And second is that, uh, you know, before the patch and post the patch, like the numbers of Sandman aren't overly high where they would expect, right? Yeah. So obviously anecdotally, like those matches when you're playing a deck that plays a lot of cards at the end of the game, it feels frustrating. So our brains trick us and say, this is happening too much, even though maybe mm-hmm. it only happened a couple of times the whole time you were playing, right? Um, so then you say, oh, well, everybody must be doing this or playing this too much and it's being played, you know, it's being overplayed, but really that's a very small sample size, right? So yeah, basically they said they're not worried about it. Obviously they're, they're always looking at everything and the funness of playing as well as how much things are being played, but right now they're not worried about it. So, uh, you know, we'll see yeah. if that changes in the future, but it sounds like not a big deal to the developers right now. So back to Kitty coming in free. Obvious, huge synergy with Bounce. Where else are you guys seeing her? Because I was seeing discussions, Sunspot's dead. That was even before the Sunspot nerf. It was like, you just run Kitty instead. Uh, What other kind of decks do you think we flex Kitty into? And because she's coming free to everybody, is there a a pool two deck that you would drop your Kitty into? Yeah, absolutely. You could Um, play the Collector Dino with the Kitty, right? I mean, that's what what I think, right? The, The Collector buff working, to me, right that makes collector more playable because then it's especially if you get like a beast off on kitty one of the turns right then you're just getting like free power to collector every turn and then you're doing much of other things hopefully to buff up your collector with moon girl and with other things right so i i think that's a maybe brings that deck up a little bit in the you know where it's kind of currently ranked right Bast is now a series down, able to jump start the kitty scaling as a one three. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. There, oh, there's love, so many I different decks that a kitty can go in. It doesn't have to be just bounce. You can do Sarah Miracle, like the classic Sarah Two Miracle that we've yeah. seen, um, or honestly, even just Sarah Control or any. You can even kind of just tech in a few cards with kitty, just like what are just like a kitty. Um, and you can just do like other things like your Mysterio hit monkey package as well. Yep. Um, or your Angela, not... right? Angela was a good efficiency kind of plug exactly. and play. Kitty makes her go to the moon. Another early collection card as well for yeah. uh, people that aren't, aren't quite in pool three or pool three complete. So yeah, Kitty is going to be everywhere. Um, I do think, uh, I guess my hot take is I think Kitty is vastly, and it's not even close, the most overrated card in snap history. It is not even close. She is a fantastic card. She is great, but everyone thinks she's the second coming of Christ. Like that's the hype that she's received. And to suggest that she's going to be the best one drop to overtaking Sunspot, even after the Sunspot nerf, is also a reach in my mind. Sunspot is still far more flexible than Kitty is in any deck that you put him in because the floating of mana uh, to basically kind of combat those turns where you don't have the best curve is still way easier to kind of, you know, get across the table than forcing Kitty every single turn. Because again, remember, she does come back every turn. You have to think ahead with your mana, or I'm sorry, energy, play magic, my bad. 
your energy to be able to uh, kind of finagle what you're going to do each and every turn. Fantastic card. You can still be overrated and still be good, though. And I think yeah. she's incredibly overrated. I, I think that's, uh, in my mind, that's the biggest thing with this change is that I know it's going to happen to me and it's going to happen to other people. Turn six is going to happen. Turn five or six. And you're going to, you're thinking, okay, I'm just going to keep doing my kitty thing. But then you're like, oh, wait, now I can't play her because I need to play this other thing to win or to try to win this location. I don't have enough energy. And I forgot that I was going to need that extra one energy to play her down. I think that's going to happen right now. That's a, an experienced learning thing, right? So it's not impossible for people to pick up that up, figure that out as time goes on. Uh, but it's one of those kind of higher skill cards, right? You, you have to really plan ahead and think, how is this all going to play out? And what am I going to be playing each turn? Which, you know, some decks kind of thrive off of that. And other decks is just kind of like, it's pretty straightforward, right? And so, deck construction is a big thing of that too. Because like, it's very easy to kind of think, I'm going to do the same exact type of build we saw for the week that she was legal. Um, but that build might not be as efficient now because your curve might get messed up from just that one energy every turn. So you yep. have to keep that in mind with your deck construction. So there's a lot to it. Yeah. Uh, I do want to just explicitly say, we, we kind of referenced it. And for those who are just listening to the podcast and not watching the video, um, Kitty is coming free to all players in May. Uh, so that's that's kind of the key piece of co uh, compensation to all players, whether you bought her or not. You know, if you bought her, obviously you're saying, whoa, 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 I spent 6,000 tokens. Great that everybody gets her for free. So what do I get? Uh, people who bought Kitty are getting 8,000 tokens. So more than you you spent on her. So kind of overcompensating and you're getting an avatar uh, for Kitty automatically. So um, I just want to really quickly, you know, we're going to need to move along here to kind of our next topics. But I just want to say that I appreciate second second dinner second i want to say second dinner second dinners <laughs> handling of issues in the game uh they seem very willing to give gold uh you know extra mystery variant give this card for free you know they did things like this in the past with uh um what's her name lady thor yep. uh yeah jane jane, jane foster. foster i'm like that's yeah them <laughs> yeah the mighty enough. thor yeah, you guys knew who I was talking about, right? Where they're they're showing that uh, they're willing to try to to not just say, "Oh, sorry, you know, our bad," and just deal with it, right? They're they're trying to keep people engaged and feeling good about things, even when things go wrong. So I appreciate that. I'm not saying they're perfect at it, but I definitely think they're better. You know, they're doing better than I've seen other game developers do with issues in their games. So that's appreciated. Um, don't know if you guys have any other closing thoughts on this before we move on nope yeah it's going to be great to get her for free if we can get a cadence of like one free card every six months i mean i might be pretty happy with that <laughs> on a tangential note the avatar that we're getting i think that kitty pride might be my least favorite base art in the entire game she has mm -hmm. very good variants but i don't know what it is something about the base art just ticks me the wrong way it's i think a it's the bland. hair it's a little yeah. bland yeah it's a little... <laughs> Yeah, you should give a, a free card every single month. I think if you purchase the season pass, you should get one free card of your choice out of the three or four uh, new releases. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you said one every six months, I was like, well, while we're theory crafting here, I mean, why not say you know one every month, one every three months? But I uh, got to make money somehow. I don't know. I, that I, would I still make the money. More people would on. buy the season pass if that was the case. Would they yep. not? Do you think they would? Like, I, I, I think mean, people would. My ideas for like extra monetization is more on the cosmetic sides, and then you can open up other ways of card acquisition just to keep people happy. But that's once you have like a more 
more built up infrastructure, right? Legends of Terra is incredibly free-to-play friendly, but they still make gabs of money off of like custom boards, custom emotes, and all those other options. So yeah, a yep. lot of different ways. Okay, before we continue on here, we're just going to do a quick ad break, and then we will continue on with our next topics. Hey all, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you about MarvelSnapZone.com. Marvel Snap Zone is a one-stop shop for everything Marvel Snap on the internet. They have new articles nearly every day that cover deck building, strategy, card breakdowns, etc. They have a great collection tracker tool and a decklist builder that works off of that collection tracker so that you can know what decks you can build with your current card collection. They have guides and deck lists for all level of players and all collection level of players. Make sure to go to MarvelSnapZone.com and check it out now. Okay, we will bring it back here. Um, and Oh, and I always do that. I always make our, <laughs> our faces disappear whenever we come back from the ad break. So uh, we've got... Two, well, I should say we have one main topic we want to cover left in this episode, and we do have a stretch topic. So we'll see if we if we have enough time here. I'll just uh, kind of leave leave that as a tantalizing, spo- um, not spoiler. Um, I don't know, Chris. Tease. Breadcrumbs. That's, that's the that's the word I'm looking for. Sometimes I'm like start talking, and then I'm like the English <laughs> language escapes me. So yeah. So uh, I do realize that this image is a little hard to see for anybody that's watching. This is the image that we've got up on MarvelSnapSun.com. Uh, there are articles that kind of break down these uh, changes in more detail. So I'd recommend going there and kind of reviewing it if you need. So I'm quickly just going to go over the changes. I'll just kind of, uh, well, no, we'll go one by one. We'll go one by one and we'll kind of share thoughts. We'll try to keep it one to two minutes per card. We've got six cards to talk about here. So first we're going to talk Shuri. So Shuri has been top of the meta for a long time now. And so we're seeing a change to Shuri here. Shuri retains the same stat line, a four cost, two power card. But the ability changes uh, from double the power of the next card you play to uh, if the next card you play is at this location, double its power. So that gives more predictability to your opponent, right? They know if you're going to double a card, it has to be at that location, which gives a little bit more counterplay. It also kind of stops them from putting that doubled power card behind a Cosmo. Because if the Cosmo was there and you played Shuri there, then obviously the Shuri's not going to activate, right? So it kind of makes it so you can't do the great, okay, hide one big card behind Cosmo and then hide my Taskmaster behind um, armor, right? You can only kind of hide one card uh, now of those big cards. So I want to turn it over to you guys briefly. Uh, thoughts on the Shuri change? Brad, we'll go to you first. Uh, still going to be a good card. Uh, one thing worth noting is that it does not say next turn, similar to Hawkeye or Rescue. So you can still do the what I would argue is now the most optimal play in the Shuri decks is the float on turn five, then She-Hulk Taskmaster. Uh, you can do the things of like uh, armor and then play her on armor. That way you can have at least one of them protected and then kind of go all in on another lane with your sunspot, uh, you know, uh, lizard. lizard I, yeah. I would say you cut Cosmo completely now. Um, it's not really very nice in the curve any longer. And then you just use your Taskmaster on the other lane that you haven't attacked so far. Uh, yep. I think the deck's still going to be good. Lower numbers is always a good thing, but it's not a dead deck by any means. And in the scenario you just described, right, often you're not going into your opponent's turn with priority. Or sorry, I should say the last turn of the game, your your opponent has priority, which means they can't Shang-Chi your, your cards potentially, right? 
so I think that's powerful as well. Teddy, any thoughts on Shuri? Oh, baby, load up my Valkyrie. Take along that little ghost who just dropped down as well. We're hunting Shuri's. We can, like, the control options, we now have a plethora of capability to knock her down with the Shadow King buff, and then the Valkyrie in the series drop is looking really good. And really removing the invulnerability from the Cosmo, I see, is the huge thing. The Cosmo just giving them this golden child, the golden lane that you couldn't touch, was what really put that deck over the top. And so now with the counterplay really being there, I think that we've got we've got a shot. You can do the um, arrow tech as a real... Well, the arrow is going to pull the last card. So in the, the situation where they float into She-Hulk Taskmaster, you're not going to be able... Well, you still have ways right. with arrow to yeah, be able you, to mess that could, one up. You, could, but... you just, just arrow on um, this, the, uh, the Shuri lane, right? And that yes. way it copies there as well. Because they can't and bring hopefully... the Cosmo anymore. Yeah, or so Juggernaut. you've got the other ones there. Or Juggernaut as well. Knocks the I, card I, away. It won't get the doubling from sure. You have so much counterplay now, which is what I really like. If you're going to keep a card with this kind of power level, open up all the different options for counterplay, and then it feels engaging. It's the, the design that is both fun to play and fun to play against. And that's where I think that Shuri is actually getting to now. So I'm quite happy that they didn't just give her like the magic treatment, which is what a lot of people are calling killing the I card or like the uh, what they did to Nikia and whatnot. So Shuri is still going to be a good deck. And um, especially like the Vision and the Captain Marvel play line also, in addition to the float into the She-Hulk Taskmaster, is l- still looking very impressive. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Let's talk Leech. Uh, Leech has been, I mean, you know, Brad, you already called out Leech maybe as a scapegoat, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe we'll, we bring it back to that. But Leech was previously, so same stat line, 5-3. Uh, on reveal, remove the abilities from all cards in your opponent ha- opponent's hand. Uh, to the new text, at the start of turn six, remove all abilities from cards in your opponent's hand. Teddy, I want to go to you first on this one. Thoughts on the Leech change? I like it. I think that he was just a little bit too toxic. And what I was just saying, he was fun to play, not fun to play against. But now, if he gets set up early, you get to know that it's coming. And if it gets set up just on curve on turn five, you know your opponent took a huge tempo hit to be able to establish that leech body. Fun fact, it now goes through Cosmo, so that can be a little aggravating. Um, But overall, I'm pretty happy with this change, locking it down, relegating it into something that you can see coming, which can inform your plays a little bit on the fringe where you're able to get around. So I'm happy with the direction that they took here. Yeah, Brad, thoughts on Leech? In some instances, this could be considered a buff um, because you, like Teddy just said, it dodges Cosmo now. It's no longer an honor reveal. It just happens, which I think is a very interesting design space. I'd like to see Marvel Snap kind of delve a bit more into. I like the idea of cards that just say, this happens now. Well, at a certain point in time, right? A lot of locations do that, but the cards have not. Yeah, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, um, This also has a very unique uh, kind of combo with Mindscape now, rather than Mindscape being a mm-hmm. card that made Leech dead before. Because you don't want to just Leech on five, hit their hand, then take all their bad cards, or cards that are basically useless now. Now, Mindscape triggers first, switches the hands, Leech then hits your old cards in the opponent's hand, and then you get their good cards. I think that's mm-hmm. a super interesting interaction now. Um, yeah, I think this is a very good change overall, positive, still keeps Leech, uh, his role intact, but makes it a bit less, uh, like Teddy said, toxic in some instances where you get him out on turn four, or even in some cases you could get him out on turn three. So, yeah. So Brad, have you cut him in any decks and what decks are you still running him in? Um, I, it's, it's a weird card because the, I don't think he's a card that's 
always going to have an exact home in any given deck, if that makes sense. I think he's yeah. the ultimate tech card where based on the meta, then you just kind of slot him in. And of course he goes great and you know, I think I still think he can be played in lockjaw decks. Um I've seen I mean you've seen even seen move decks play him in some instances because of just how powerful the card was. Very popular in Patriot, are, I saw. Yeah, that too. Um it, it's a very interesting card and still has a place in any deck you want to play him in. So I, I don't think this really does that much to his stock. He's gonna see less mm. play because people will take this as a nerf. But I think as time goes on, you'll realize Leech is just the same as he was on curve, still a good card. Yeah. 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 I'm still I, running him in my ramp, and then I've cut him from my Thanos, and I've kind of been retooling my Thanos, finding the sweet spot there. So that's what I've been yeah. experimenting with. I think just to kind of summarize Leech and Shuri is it feels like the developers are learning and, and growing, and like we don't have to nerf cards in the ground and make them unplayable because they're overplayed or toxic or whatever, you know, whatever the circumstance is, is they're finding creative ways to make cards powerful. But like you say, maybe unlocking more counterplay or more interaction from your opponent, right? Which I think is positive. Um, let's talk Lockjaw. So Lockjaw uh, is an interesting one. Um, and I'm curious your guys' thoughts on this because Lockjaw has been, I mean, there's, there's decks built around Lockjaw and have been since the beginning of the game, right? So Lockjaw has gone from a 3-2 after you play a card here, swap it with a card in your deck to a 3-2. After you play a card here, swap it with a card in your deck, which is the exact same text. But in the parentheses, once per turn. Um, so I'll kind of start out our stop on this one. Uh, obviously, this can be seen as a nerf, right, in some ways. Because it's like, oh, well, now you can't load up three cards on the last turn of the game or on whatever turn and, like, just, you know, get a bunch of six-cost cards out really fast or whatever it is. Uh, which, yeah, maybe that is a little uh, a little weaker. And then when you know you factor in latest changes to things like um, Quinjet and Thanos, right? So like all of a sudden this this combo has be kind of crumbled, if you will. You could say that. But I will say, now you open up opportunities where you could place two cards in a lockjaw, one that you want to go back into your deck and pull a card, but maybe one you want to actually keep at that location, right? That is now an option which maybe, like you said, it's it's not a strict nerf, right? Because that opens up new opportunities and new play space with Lockjaw. But I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Brad, we'll go to you first. So, yeah, you, you raise a good point of the fact that it gives this flexibility of sometimes you just draw the big cards you want to ramp into with Lockjaw you, and you have them in hand, and that can make some awkward plays, especially towards the late game. So now you have the option of being able to go, like if you have the Wasp or the Mjolnir in hand and just play that one card, then you can play your big card on Lockjaw so you can actually still guarantee some amount of power on that. Yep. I think what it does is actually makes the deck, in a lot of people's eyes, like you said, people think it's a nerf. It's more of a nerf to Thanos and those type of shells, but in the traditional Thor Lockjaw deck or something that's centered around this card in general, I think this makes this deck more skill intensive. And I would argue that any deck that becomes more skill intensive rather than a bit more RNG uh, laced is ultimately going to be a better deck overall because the ceiling mm. is higher. I think the ceiling is increased on this one. The floor has lowered a bit with the RNG nerf, but the ceiling is increased with play potential. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thoughts on Lockjaw from you, Teddy? Yeah, I, I like the change because the shock value of the Lockjaw just getting all these cards and then rolls the slot machines, the sevens come up in a row and you get beaten by it, feels pretty bad. Now, the opponent 
They know they're cultivating. They know what's in their hand and what's in their deck. So they're working with a little bit more information than you have, which is part of where that surprise factor is coming from. And his capability to energy cheat big cards to the board was just so tremendous. And then you would play like an even a movement card, move the lockjaw and start over, which was just so oppressive. Now being able to just piecemeal it out, I like that. That was the most common play, play pattern. It's just that the high roll is now kind of gone on dropping all the cards together. It means that finding him later in the game is a lot worse. You really need to be setting him up on tempo to get the best value. But I do love the idea of getting a card to stick. Something like in that Thor deck on Reveal Synergies, you had your Doctor Doom pop up at the Lockjaw. Well, now you drop the Wasp and then the Odin. And then you keep the power of the body of the Odin, which as before could have gotten cycled down into nothing and actually hurt you. You have these extra high skill options and really going to be looking ahead into future turns i want to feed this to lockjaw then i need to feed this to lockjaw i want to save open space etc cetera, etc cetera, be able to plan things out I, I like it yeah yeah no a lot of great thoughts i, I i'm excited to see the future of lockjaw right I, i'm excited to see what people do and, and as that are those new muscles with lockjaw kind of develop of how to play around lockjaw um okay well we'll jump through these next two really quick we've got america chavez um which now uh it starts on the bottom of your deck as a new text and draw this on turn six. So basically the reasoning is they're making new cards and they're having cards that are going to interact with the top of your deck. Uh, and so this is kind of just a, like, we don't want this, those cards to always interact with America Chavez, right? We want to interact with different cards in your deck. So uh, America Chavez is going to kind of work the same. It's just uh, a little bit different, but a little bit the same. I think, you know, call out that cable is kind of guaranteed to pull America Chavez from your opponent's deck. Her new best America friend. Chavez. Yeah. Um, and then the other one really quick is Jubilee. So Jubilee, same stat line, a 4-1, but it's gone from on reveal, add a card from your deck to this location to on reveal, add the top card of your deck to this location. So uh, again, that's how it used to be. That's how Jubilee was originally. So it's kind of interesting. We've kind of gone back in time a little bit, but they've obviously changed America Chavez because those used to synergize really well together. Um so yeah, I guess I don't think there's a ton to say here compared to the other cards we've talked about so far or the next card we'll talk about, but any brief thoughts about these changes from either of you? I think it's really interesting because before, if you were running Jubilee, it was an auto-include to have Chavez there because you had this great potential of it being a four-cost, 10-power combo, which was just absolutely golden. And now that's really off the table. Also, it's a slap in the face to, to Cable, who already wasn't seeing a lot of play. But then on the flip side, it makes Yandu look a lot. So basically with Cable, one of the goals that you were trying to get was a little bit of scouting information on what the opponent was playing. Getting Chavez really doesn't tell you that. Yandu, on the other hand, who would often destroy the Chavez, now is in this weird... It's an interesting position because he's getting played in Galactus That's or in anything that's running Null. And you loved hitting Chavez if you had Null. But now you're not going to hit Chavez, but you're going to hit another card, which tells you earlier on in the game what style of deck the opponent is playing to give you extra information. I think... There's some all these subtle plays of like scouting information and other odds of what Jubilee is pulling. Now you know it's going to be another card in your deck. So you have narrower odds of Jubilee pulling one of these other cards. You just have to cultivate a deck that is all valuable cards. I think this one is going to be a change that is like affected a long ways down the line. And then we're really going to feel it with Howard the Duck and Iron Lad um, coming out in next month. 
And yep. that's what I'm most excited for is the Howard the Duck Ironlad uh, kind of uh, combo there with Jubilee. Because now oh, it yeah. presents this interesting curve of you play Howard the Duck early, either one, two, or three, and then you get to turn four, and let's say you have both Jubilee and uh, Ironlad in hand. Now you can make the decision of knowing what cards on the top of your deck and be like, okay, what's more valuable here? R- effectively ramping into a Jubilee or taking that ability with Ironlad and then drawing it to get a second copy of it. Very subtle, you know, differences between the play there but they make the biggest difference when it comes to the way that deck is going to function and that's what i'm most excited for chavez just a cool change i like to see uh yondu actually have that more information uh given to him as a card and it does feel bad for cable but to be fair chavez isn't played nearly as much as she used to be so maybe cable stock isn't lowered as big as we would think iron iron lad's a four cost card right yes four six so theoretically, you could play Howard, see what's on your turn. You could play Iron Lad because you'd still draw the card the next turn and it would still retain its ability, right? Yes. So you could like play Iron Lad, then you could draw the card and play it on your next turn, and then you could Mystique if it's like an if it's like an ongoing card. So you could get like three copies of Onslaught. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> three copies of an ongoing card. Yeah. Um. And then somehow you get uh, Living Tribunal down there on the last turn. And yeah, you just get three Iron, onslaughts you and three uh, onslaughts, Iron Man, Living Tribunal, and it's over, right? That's <laughs> those are pretty good. I don't know if there's enough energy to do that exactly. I think, like I think that, there but... is with Zabu. You have these other cards on on a three cost. It's probably there. Fair point. Yeah. Anyway, it's that, Cosmo, it sounds exciting. It sounds fun. Cosmo guess, locks out the... any counterplay, and it's over. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, well, let's jump to our last card because I think there's going to be a little bit more conversation here and we're running low on time. So Leader. Leader has been unplayable since the la- they last touched Leader. Uh, so Leader uh, was most recently a 6-7 and read the text, on reveal, copy all cards your opponent played to the location right of here, but on your side, which just sounds like confusing to me. I mean, I know how it works, but like when we first got the change, it was like, wait, so what does it do? Does it do it at that location? Does it do it to the location to the right? Um, now it is a six, two, so they lower the power. So you're like, okay, this has got to be a positive change on reveal, copy the enemy cards S on cards in parentheses. So if there's multiple, if there's multiple with the highest power played this turn, but on your side. So it no longer, I mean, the original was play all the cards your opponent played, but on your side, uh, now it is whatever the highest cost card or cards your opponent plays, you'll place those as well. So this is a spicy one. Brad, kick us off. What are your thoughts on leader? I mean, I just love how they straight up admitted that they uh, they messed up pretty hard when it came to leader the first time around. Just tell uh, us what you made your account avatar on title again, Brad. Oh, yeah. So I made my avatar the leader avatar, and then I made my title guess who's back. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was great. I'm not even that big of a leader player. I think he's a very cool card. And I also think um, back when he was considered to be oppressive before he had his original change, was nowhere near as bad as people let on. It was still, I, I would argue, a oppressive card that needed some kind of change, but it had way more playability around it than prior. Anyway, now I think it's really interesting, really cool. It still gives this nice option for a plethora of decks. Maybe he's back in Death Wave. Maybe he's back in Sandman mm-hmm. Ramp, which actually we've already seen. Yep. Um, I love the idea of your opponent playing a, because I believe he checks cards when they're face down, correct? before yes. they're actually flipped. Yep. So yes. if it's an ongoing that has zero, like a Dark Hawk, let's say 
Well, Teddy, you love your Zabu. So let's say you were, I'm playing Teddy and he has Zabu out. On turn six, he wants to go Darkhawk into Mystique. I'm just going to get a Darkhawk into Mystique on my side now because he checks them as both zero. Yep. That sounds pretty nice. Yeah. Yep. Um, they won't be as big, obviously, if you're playing your deck correctly. But these small, subtle differences can make a, uh, go a long way. I, I think the change is very good. Lear should come back into the meta, but nowhere near at the level that he was uh, a few months ago. Yeah. I already had a match where, uh, you know, testing leader out again and uh, um, Kamartage was on the board and like we yes. both, the, like, I think wave down, went down through, we both played leader into Kamartage, right? And like copied <laughs> each other multiple times. And that like, was, uh, I was like, man, I, I missed this. This is a, you know, this is great to have it back. That was actually the one interaction I wish they killed. Just seeing the leaders pop up just seemed silly. But oh, I, I, I understand it. it is in there. And I'm loving the, the new leader. ultimate Spider-Man pointing meme. It, it yeah. is. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, so we're, we're just we're just about out of time here. But there's two things I want to just really hit really quick. If we've got one or two more minutes. Uh, one, I mean, this is your really quick 10, 15 second thoughts on this. Uh, from the general updates, there are several general, general updates in this patch. One I wanted to call out. Players that reach infinite rank will only match against other infinite rank players. want to hear your quick... Uh, thoughts, Brad, thumbs up. Teddy, fantastic. fantastic change. Teddy, you agree, disagree? This, it seems like it's hitting everybody negatively right now. I'm playing against infinite players. I barely have any variety in my opponents. In a given session, I'll play the same people over and over again. At infinite level, I'm not hitting any of the tryhard decks, at least in my pocket of the meta. Meanwhile, the people in my community who are trying to climb are like, it's just straight sweaty players. And it's crazy. I'm living against Galactus, Galactus, Galactus. I have not seen Galactus for 48 hours. So it's incredible how the metas have segregated between infinite and non-infinite. And those like meta pockets, now that we're even more segregated, we need global matchmaking for this to really make sense to me. Once we get there, I'm going to be incredibly happy. Until then, I understand it feels terrible when somebody with an infinite card back on day three when your rank 50 hits you. But I think that it was actually healthier before. Interesting. Interesting. I think that's a good call out. I think this is maybe an incremental change uh, that can get better as they continue to, uh, to iterate on this. Um, I know you wanted to talk new leaked cards, Teddy, but I think we're out of time. We'll just leave people with a teaser. Uh, there's a spider ham card uh, and it turns <laughs> things into pigs. It's so, a one cost leech, baby. He's going to come back. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, yeah, we'll leave it at that. I think, uh, I think that's interesting. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll be talking more about those cards in future episodes. Um, as always, I want to give you guys both a chance to give a shout out where people can find you online, how they can best follow you and support your content. Uh, Teddy, we'll turn it over to you first. Teddy Ninja on YouTube, Teddy Ninja 15 on Twitch, streaming Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Try to get video deck guides up every day. Always got something going on. And I've got a Discord. Love chatting with all you guys over there. Awesome. And Bradsfer. You can find me on Twitter at Bradsfer. You can find me on YouTube, same thing, Bradsfer. And you can also find me hosting alongside Chris Bootman over on his channel, the Snap on Ego podcast from Marvel Snap. So Awesome. Well, thank you guys both so much. I didn't say this at the beginning. You guys both were willing to kind of jump in here at the 11th hour and jump on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Hope you both have a great night. And uh, we thank all the listeners, and we will catch you all in the next episode. Thanks, everybody. Can't Stop Snapping is a podcast written, recorded, produced, and hosted by Michael Thurman. Thanks for listening.
Thank you.